Welcome to the Tragedy Academy, where you are the teacher and we are the students. Together, we will learn from past tragedy to lay the foundation for a better humanity. The only supplies you'll need, an open mind and a sense of humor. So, tilt that chair back, talk out of turn, and never raise your hand. Because this is the Tragedy Academy, and class is in session, non-pure scholar. How do you guys stand I, I was trying to figure out how I was going to do it. All right, you ready? iPad live. Oh, I'm not punching you, dude. You hit me. I was just waiting for you to say that the person sitting next to you when that happened was like Forrest Griffin or somebody. Because mm. <laughs> I don't like the idea of having to take a punch if my phone is on when there's a whole bunch of Chuck holo- Liddell's went off like day one and everyone's like, who's going to say something? I mean, <laughs> no. He said anything. <laughs> punch Chuck Liddell. <laughs> that's it's not high on my list of things to do <laughs> you like my shirt into the am man oh it's, it's nuts i mean i'm gonna have an acid flashback from the 70s i love it dude <laughs> all right it, guys so, see, now i'm gonna have to stare at that for a while isn't it cool <laughs> all their shirts are that way the artists are insane okay i'm not gonna you feel better now like why is he just staring at my chest the whole time that'd be an interesting show so bad on camera. I'm so much better. All right. Welcome to the Tragedy Academy, a show created to bridge societal divides in a judgment-free zone using candor and humor. My name is Jay, and I am joined today by my co-host, Gary. How you doing today, Gary? Good. How you doing? Living the dream, my man. And I also have my father-in-law here, Gabe Torres. How you doing today, Dad? I am doing good. Sorry that you called me. <laughs> Sorry that I called you. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure you're telling the truth. Um... <laughs> Gabe is here today to talk about his time as an immigrant coming from Colombia to the U.S. And more importantly, we kind of, uh, Gary liked the idea of getting some background on streetball and what it's like as a young immigrant coming to New York and playing in that area. So I'm going to hand this off to Gary because um, I think that he's got a really good line of questions he wants to talk to him about. So go ahead, man. Thank you very much. And thanks for being on the show. Uh, I have so many questions. I don't even know where to start. but. I always wanted to play basketball as a kid. I'm 5'4", if that. Um, grew up in Cleveland, really big sports town, and I was terrible. I went whole seasons without scoring. So it was a dream from the front row, you know, to play. Um, I watched tons of streetball growing up. There was these and one mixtapes that came out in the 90s. It was hip-hop music and all the Rucker Park and everything got really popular again. So it was a phenomenon. They even had streetball leagues. Um, how, you know, have you seen any of those and how is it the same or different from your era? Or if you could just describe, you know, what the streetball was like in the 70s. All right. You're asking me to go back centuries. I'm sorry, bad word. Started out in Colombia. Let's, let's transition from there to uh, Manhattan at some point. But started out in Colombia in the early 60s. Watching somebody play basketball was something that kind of caught my eye. In sixth grade, seventh grade, the high school said, hey, guys, uh, you want to play ball? Uh, We have a coach. Uh, You have some aptitude for this. We'll we'll get you trained, and then we transition you into the lower grade of basketball here at the school. Yeah, I, I would like to do that. So I had this all coach and started with dribbling and started with passing and starting with conditioning. And gradually, the more I did it, the more I liked it. From there, then uh, the high school had some sort of league and things developed from there gradually. The once a week became twice a week, three times a week practice and dribbling, passing, shooting from the foul line, two-point shots. At the time, there weren't any three-point shots. Only if you get the charity line, yeah, you would do your three-point shot. Gabe, what's what's the charity line? I don't think a lot of people are going to know what that is. (laughs) This is where you throw. I feel like this is made for me. uh, Where you throw, (laughs) you get fouled, and you get a shot. Uh, If you get fouled in the act of shooting, you would then go to the charity line and Get somebody. Slang for the free throw line. Yeah, the free throw line. I like that. The charity line's a great way to uh, Charity stripe, it. they call yes. it sometimes. Oh, okay. Ah, see, there's a, that's a different language here. Somehow, the next thing I know, I am in an expose in the uh, local paper called El Tiempo. It's, 
is famous in Bogota for that, talked about teams being part of that league and blah, 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 blah. Okay, so it became a thing to do until uh, I went from sort of that high school into a much higher-end high school, which was Christian Brothers of La Salle. That sounds very uh, strict. My knuckles just hurt hearing that name. This is where the real ball started for me because uh, I had an excellent coach, somebody who had been uh, part of the uh, national team of Colombia, and then my skills really started to develop. Next thing I started to hear, point guard uh, rather than shooting guard. I think, wow, that kind of professionalized stuff. All right. That's uh, people that don't know, that's like the quarterback. That's the, the guy yeah. that decides how the plays yes. are run, right? Uh, I must have had some some brains because the guy kept giving me more and more stuff about do this, do that in this situation. And I say, wow. Well, you're very mindful. You're aware of things going on around you all the time because you don't talk a whole lot. You tend to pay attention more. No, no, no. The, you see, you learn more by listening rather than running your mouth. Hey, there you go. And I never even learned that because I was too busy talking. <laughs> yeah, I, I had to start a podcast because I ran my mouth yeah. too much. I've got four <laughs> noses. This is nose number four because of that exact same problem. <laughs> well, I got one question for you. At that time, you know, still we think of South America as a soccer culture, football. Uh, was basketball popular back then? Were people playing it a lot or is it No, new? no, no. Uh, basketball was a thing to do at a higher level. Soccer is a thing to do for everybody. And everybody gets sent to soccer and some do right and some do all sorts of so and some fail. But uh, soccer is a thing to do no matter what. It sounds like, because I get what you're asking here, I think that it's similar to, like, in the U.S., soccer is that white-collar, upper-echelon sport that everybody that's rich plays, where in Colombia at that time, it was the kids with money that went to the academies were playing basketball right. versus, you know, like, lacrosse or something like that, like we would do here. So, to tailgate on uh, on your on your thought, also, you, uh, I was lucky enough to get um, a need scholarship in this High school, all right? So, uh, yeah, I rubbed elbows with people with money, okay? And all political affiliations, good or bad. And, hey, it was kind of my scholarship, believe it or not, in high school. And I did good grades also. And that was a, a requirement to stay within whatever they offer, the Fathers and Mothers Association for the school. That's whatever. So... My basketball thing continued to develop. At some point in my uh, junior year, somebody tapped me and said, uh, would you, would you want to run the sports club in school? I said, what is that? I don't know. It has a, it's a name here in English, which is, it eludes me right now. But yeah, it's like, you want to manage this damn thing? Yeah. What, what am I going to do? It's like a, a small Olympics within the school. In other words, That's I went cool. from basketball to running chess to running track to running the soccer thing and then some other things. And then, by the way, at the end of the year, you need to put in the yearbook a summary of what you're doing. It's like the managerial thing that I've been trying to do. What year was this uh, or that around what time? Between 66 and 69. So the world's going to war. There's yes. a lot of stuff going on. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, it was a refuge from for me in many areas. And incidentally, at the same time, I was doing my military service. I was doing basketball, my my regular schoolwork. And then on, on Wednesdays and Saturdays, it was the military thing to do because it was a pre-requirement. This is when Vietnam things started, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you needed to be kind of ready. Ah, you never know. Blah, blah, blah. Old stuff, politics. Towards the end of 1969, um, again, I run the sports club. I think colleges here call it intramurals. Yes, that's okay? what I played. Right? So, and that's Poorly. you, you get there no matter what, whatever you try. want. And I did again. Uh, a major thing for intramurals, and it got published in the uh, local papers. The TV station came and do exposés on us and all that. And all all the time, I was kind of behind the scenes, uh, organizing referees, paying people that needed to be paid, that kind of stuff. So yeah, it was a managerial job that I was doing, and I didn't know I was doing it, but someone I was to doing do it. it. You're living in two different worlds here is what it sounds like to me. You're living in the upper echelon rich world, running around with these kids and having these interactions. 
And then you're going home where you're not on scholarship and you're living with all your friends and family and things like that. What does that look like? Because I can see how some people might have some jealousy or you were able to bring things back to them, whatever it might be. It's an excellent question because while in this high school environment, yeah, I got exposed to people with money. These people came from any part of the Columbia, and you heard uh, my dad has this, my brother has that. Uh, we are politically connected with this and that. And I was a poor sucker, part of the language there, but I had to go home and reconcile that. Yes, there was an adjustment. And then many times, hey, we're going to the coast. Do you want to come? We'll, we'll fly you. You know, we we'll take you. Oh, my God. Things happen, and they took me, but. And flying was not that common. I could never, never, never invite any of them to my house because it was a poor place, a poor apartment. So it was. Yeah, that, that was an excellent question. Thank you for asking. Yeah, and that's rare back then, probably in Columbia, going on a plane, you know, in the, in the 60s. No, and yeah, you, like you have people. people didn't do that. There are people there that have money. It's just they're not, you don't know them. You don't even know where the money came from because we're talking right. about the 60s the and 70s. One. Yeah, that that's the other one. Uh, you got to be very careful. You got to blow the powder off those dollars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You don't some know questions, that. right? You don't know that. So I graduated from high school in 69. From there, reality hit, hit me. I still got connected with the school as an ex-alum and still play ball, but I needed to work. I was in my uh, late teens and... Mom needed help, so I went to work for um, a very large company in Colombia, Avianca Airlines, especially a subsidiary called Coviajes. And Coviajes was part of a um, industrial league. Say, oh my God, did I get the right place too? Because uh, it afforded me to uh, continue to play ball and then help out the family. All right, perfect scenario. So I had to hire the coach because. These people knew that somehow I had an idea how to play ball. They say, no, 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 we'll pay the coach. You select it. Here we go. All this managerial business. That's a lot of power to be picking the coach. I think only LeBron gets to do that now. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I did work for, for this company a couple of years. But then one day my mom said, dude, you really want to continue to do this? Uh, before you get married and start to have kids, there is an opportunity in the United States. And that kind of resonated with me because she said, look, we, you have some lost, lost cousins that can help you. You are in the airline industry. You can get free flights I don't know, from Bogota to the coast and from the coast to uh, whatever, the U.S. And hey, mom was right because uh, I looked into that and Bianca said, yeah, when you are eligible for vacations, uh, we'll give you a trip to Barranquilla or Cartagena. And from there, if you want to go to the U.S., we can use Pan Am, the it's good the old one. Pan Am, wow, believe it or not. Time ago. Yeah. Believe it or not. So one day on somewhere in July, I said, hey, guys, I need some vacation time. I already had bought my dollars and I already had my passport and I did it. The thing is- um, Were you nervous? Oh, yes, I was. Absolutely. All alone. All alone. I'll I'll tell you the story so that I'll piece it together with the basketball once in the U.S. I was given a a free ticket to Barranquilla. And then I had somehow booked through Pan Am at a heavy discount, again, because it's part of the industry, to Kingston, Jamaica. Right? And from there, Pan Am would pick me up. Pan Am would be coming from somewhere in, uh, in Europe and pick me up for free and drop me in New York City. Did you just complain about uh, like a short flight from Vegas to I, here? I was just like, <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> like, you end up in Kingston for, you know, a two hour layover ends up being three weeks, right? <laughs> no, oh, no, no. I, I timed it so that um, <laughs> um, I did it all. Mm-hmm. I, I laid over in, in Barranquilla for about a night. Then I did my connection to Jamaica. And in Jamaica, uh, Panam was great. I mean, God, what, what a way to go. Well, back then it was it was an elite like yes. event. You wore yes. like fancy clothes, a yes. top hat, yes. and a long yes. sweatpants, long stem cigarette. Any... Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> a, a poor guy from Colombia looking into this, I say, "Wow!" Probably had real silverware and a tray. Yeah, and yeah. They, and they, 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 the girl, killed the ladies. Okay, whatever. Used to come and say, "What would you like to eat?" Uh, it will cost you nothing. They don't we'll just throw pretzels at you back then. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Angrily. 
No, no, no old peanuts. No, no, instead of the cookies and the peanuts. No, that was heavy stuff, good yeah. stuff. Yeah. All right. So I, I'm there the middle of July and get off the plane and my English wasn't as good. Yeah, whatever I learned in high school, uh, it was important. But my enunciation or pronunciation wasn't there. So get off the uh, plane. I go to the bar and I said, I wanted a soda and I couldn't articulate. Uh, then the guy, the bartender said, how about a beer? I said, oh, yeah, yeah. Welcome <laughs> to America. Yep. <laughs> how about a beer? I said, oh, okay. Taste and then he, he, he looked at me and said, Son, are you old enough to drink? Because I look like a kid, you know. I say, yes, sir, I am. I'm old enough. I'm 20 plus. Okay, we'll give you a beer. And you got any money? Cash money? I say, yes, sir. I have a, a couple of dollars. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that will do. I will oh, do. yeah, whatever you got. Oh, yeah, yeah, you got. Sure, yeah, sure. Yeah. It's, it's $988. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> so there went I drank all your money. the beer and I felt much better. And I waited for my connection. And next thing I know, I'm in Panam, all the way into New York City. That's got to be crazy. I mean, uh, especially I'll from Jamaica then to New York. I'll tell you what. During the flight, I started to chat this this two girls, little teenagers. Blah, blah, blah. You know how things are. And it turns out that the two girls were from Barranquilla, and they had uh, my name, my last name as their last name, too. I said, look at here. You must be lost, lost cousins because... Wow. All right. So we talk things a little bit, uh, gave information about me, blah, blah, blah. Next thing I know, we landed. The person that was supposed to greet me at the airport wasn't there. Yikes, man. That's a huge city alone. I am lost there. Now, you didn't have an iPhone. You couldn't just no, call no, Uber. No, no, no. It was is... like, what do I do? What is, uh, hey, are they going to understand me when I start to enunciate my broken English? Yes. Uh, I'm going to have a problem here. Next thing I know, I'm going to have the cops all over me or whoever it is. So I'm sitting there waiting for my, the person that was going to pick, pick me up. Lo and behold, these two girls come out and say, hey, dude, did your friend came by to pick you up? I said, no, I kind of, it's kind of late. Oh, and where are you going? I think it's somewhere in Manhattan. Uh, Easy to find. Near the bridge. Only 30 oh, bridges. Oh, my God. <laughs> I say, okay, uh, we're waiting for our dad. Our dad happens to be working here at the airport, and maybe we can ask our dad to give you a ride and drop you off. Very nice of him. God bless me, I said to myself. People don't do that these days. They're like, no, oh, no, no. tough luck, buddy. Exactly right. You said it absolutely <laughs> yeah. right. So I waited like, I don't know, about an hour, and then the dad shows up. And the girls tell him, and he says, no, not a problem. We'll, we'll, we'll take you. Uh, we live in Newark. This is JFK to Newark. So it probably it sounded is, like New York. And just, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, I'll drop you off. Not a problem. Oh, God Why bless. is everybody fist pumping? Yeah, oh, yeah. I think that, that, that <laughs> Jersey. <laughs> that's the other part of Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> so we take a ride. Uh, he dropped me off. It's kind of nearly midnight, all right? He drops me in front of this four-story building. So midnight. Midnight, Whitesworth Street, right oh near God. the bridge. And I, the guy said, okay, this is it. I said, God bless you. Thank you so very much for this help. You saved me a hell of a lot of trouble. Maybe dropped you off into a bunch Let of trouble. Let me see if these old cousins opened the door because I knew somehow from letters and things from before that sometimes things weren't kosher. So... I go up the stairs, they were on the fourth floor, okay, and I keep banging on the stupid door and uh, nobody opened the door. I went back downstairs and I'm, I have my luggage in my hand and I see this cup on the corner and I say, no, 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 let me go back up again and back on the stupid door. Yeah. Suddenly, after a while, somebody with sleepy eyes cracks the door open and says, hey, what do you want, man? Of course, I said, mom sent this letter and said to me to give it to you so that you know who I am. Gets the letter, opens it. Holy shit, you're my lost, lost, lost cousin. What are you doing out there, man? I've been banging on this door for a while, and I think you were asleep. He goes, yes, 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 I was. I'm sorry. I just came back from work, blah, blah. Come in, come in, come in. My blood pressure went down when I went in the apartment, and there was another cousin there, and I say, oh, you look familiar. I've seen you around, but I haven't seen you for, for ages. I say, yeah. I'm here. I understand your mom sent you a note. Oh, yeah, here it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we got you. We got you. 
Come in, we'll take care of you. All right. That's how I landed in the U.S. I had so many questions. You got sent on a plane with a note pinned to your chest by your mom to live in a new country with half the language. That's amazing. <laughs> Not only a new country, but the craziest part of the whole entire country. Manhattan, midnight. Yes. That, like, that sounds terrible, but that's how it was. I, I, I did have some uh, money in the form of a check in my pocket and some loose cash too in my pocket. But my biggest thing was the, the conversational piece. You know, I, I say, how the heck am I going to do it if I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm really going to be in trouble? My mom always told me that I was a lucky guy for some reason. I said, now I know what my mom meant. Tell me how it looked when you got there. Like people see Manhattan now and it's Times Square. It's big no, no, no. lights. Like what was it like when they opened that door and they let you out of the car and you had to look at this for the first time? My my biggest eye opener was the bridge. The George Washington was like, wow, I never seen anything like this. And then I go to the apartments and I said, mm, you're kind of dingy. They're full of graffiti. My God, I don't know. And then I see on the street all the double parking and all that stuff. I said, wow, there's a lot of people in this area. Uh, and the apartment building does not smell any better. I say that was an adjustment, but I say I'm here. I am among people that kind of know me a little bit, which is, is a great pressure relief as far as I can tell. Did you want to turn around? Was there any part where you were like, Yeah, the first time Shit. when I started banging on the door and they never answered, I said, Now let me go back down and see what am I going to do next. But then when I'm on the street uh, and, and put my luggage on, uh, on, the, uh, on the sidewalk and I glance to my right, and there is this cop looking at me like, what the hell is this guy doing with this luggage at this time of the night? And That's I said, no, 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 suspicious. let me go back inside the building and keep banging on that stupid door. <laughs> That's what I did. So many bad things could it's happen. good thing you went back and pounded on the door. Yes, yes, because he finally woke up and read the letter, which was good. And the other person that was supposed to pick me up, uh, he kind of forgot about me or something or had issues with travel from Brooklyn to JFK. That's a trip. You managed to make it from Colombia to Jamaica to JFK, and this guy couldn't get from Brooklyn? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, thanks, buddy. Yeah, you had but, all day. But, yeah. but you have to understand the story with some immigrants. They they tend to um, stay in clusters where they're like a cocoon. Yep. Okay, You speak the language. You continue with the things that you do, whatever you came from, et cetera, et cetera. And sometimes they don't venture. Yep. I learned this later on when I went back to school to uh, help out with my English. One of the advices that I got from my teacher at the time said, you need to kind of get away from certain crowds and you need to start to assimilate. That's what I was told. Immersion. Uh, later on, I started to uh, do some work. First thing I learned was go to the kitchen and learn all the pieces in the kitchen, how they interact, how they play out, blah, blah, blah. And then my biggest, biggest change came when um, I was talking to this lady who happened to be an accountant or something like that. She comes to me and says, hey, you're the new face in the, in the restaurant. This is the steak pit in New Jersey. What's your name? I say, my name is Luis Gabriel Torres. What? Run it by me again? I said, Luis Gabriel Torres. You know that whatever you said in an English-speaking crowd is Girl's name, both of them. So from now on, call yourself Gabe, which is the Jewish thing to do. So all right, Gabe ever since. And that's how I got baptized, Gabe, forever. That's how my wife knows me. That's how he knows me. That's how my children know me. But in a, in a Spanish-speaking crowd, Luis Gabriel Torres is a male's name. In an English-speaking crowd, it's not. You got to watch what you say. Yeah. And I took it to heart. That was uh, some good advice she gave you, probably. Yeah. Um, so she gave me that. Speaking of good advice, your mom at that time said, hey, you're not married. Like, yep. take this chance. And that yes. had to be scary. And moms don't want their sons to be away from them. She knew she was going to miss you, but she, she said, hey, you know what? Give it a shot. You know, yeah. how important was that? Again, moms have this network. Okay. My mom had this cousin of hers. That had this this cousins lost lost cousins here, and they said they already went up there. Why can't you be with them? Or oh, 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 I know somebody else that can help you. Uh, yeah, mom. Well, uh, before I get in trouble with anybody, uh, uh, okay, I'll give it a shot. Well, that was up until this 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 days. 
Okay. Why I left Manhattan again, enjoy the, the trips in the subway. This is when, so we're talking more 30 cents and a meal at McDonald's was 90 cents. And the minimum wage. straw was, now. And the minimum wage was uh, what? Five bucks? Something like that. Okay. Um, again, I couldn't take the, uh, the way the city uh, was, the pace, the odor. I don't know, the ambiance, truly, the, the whole word there. So it smelled, so you moved to New Jersey. Yeah, so... Uh, uh, <laughs> I said no one ever. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a country boy, but fortunately, I did not go south towards Newark because sometimes when I went by Newark, I said, this smells worse than New York. People say that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all because of the chemical industry. So yep. I went up northern Jersey, borderline with New York State. Okay, so that's where... Um, Teaneck, right? Teaneck Paramus area? I, I started in, in um, what is it, Palisades Park, and then I went to Inglewood, New Jersey, and then I ended up in Emerson. This is where um, my children started to develop, and I had my, my eldest go to high school there, uh, my other two kids go to elementary school there, and all along, uh, I hated uh, winters. Okay. I'm from Ohio. I feel your pain. It's the worst. Colombian in the snow doesn't sound like, well, that actually sounds like something else. Yeah. That's a whole different thing. <laughs> doesn't sound <laughs> right. Doesn't yeah. sound right. Uh, so, uh, and I also, because of a growing family, we needed space so we were able to purchase a home. Back then, uh, I thought of purchasing a house at $45,000 astronomical amount of money i don't know i think it runs in the millions now i don't know how it is but probably it, in that area probably yeah, millions yeah nowadays and and then i learn about uh, other things how maintenance taxes insurance da 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 etc etc so gradually i i started to um, immerse myself in the culture again i kept pretty much the advice of somebody saying uh, hey look read english enunciate in english go back to school uh, fix your accent as much as you can you can make it uh, and try to finish your, your school all right so i try to do that but when you have three kids you have to have a full-time job you have to have a part-time job and then if you have time maybe you can go to school but i don't know sometimes it's, it's a challenge okay so i stepped away from basketball uh, because of this needs needed to help the family grow develop. Uh, all the while, uh, I watched avidly basketball any way I could because that was my escape. Jay here can tell you, hey, the only thing I come here to watch is basketball. Oh, he's in the theater. He's down here. Yeah. It's, it's on in every room. and It's, right. it's hysterical. And I, I, I follow uh, college basketball as much as possible. I follow the pros as much as possible. And the thing that Ended up my basketball sort of career was, uh, it's, it's a strange term. It's called facial, facial, plantar or something. Plant, plantar fasciitis. I have that. There you go. I said, I, I cannot do that. I cannot do that. I got to watch. I had enough with the elbows to my head and I had enough with the elbows to my teeth and I had enough with uh, gashes on my back and legs and things like that, et cetera. A um, 5'9", fighting at 6'6", six, 6'10", six, six, is not a good fight, uh, especially where you're under the boards. So no, 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 no. My favorite way out of there was shoot twos or threes, what they call now, from the corners, okay? Or my no, fadeaway. Or my fadeaways fade beyond away. that, but nothing, nothing else. So you were playing in a high-end Catholic or, or Christian schools with a lot of rules, I would assume, in Colombia and respect for the rules and a referee and all these things. Then you get to Manhattan in the street, yes. in the okay. park. Good question. There's no rules there. No rules there. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Absolutely. You survive. You got elbow and if you got good for the ref and then you I say there's no ref. And then you got to be a good lawyer too, to convince the other idiot in front of you that no, you, you're, you're really picking hard on me, man. Watch your elbow. No, no, no. They grab your pants. The next thing you know, you're on the floor. Do they give you the globe trotter? They pull your pants down? <laughs> yes. No. Yes. Did they have the bucket of water? Too? <laughs> yes. Like, yes. And and the other thing is, when you fall to the asphalt, because that's what it was. Okay, you got to be very careful because there's uh, broken glasses, things like that. All right. 
Sounds just uh, like the nice gym you played in in high school. No, no, no. That, that was wooden flooring. Here you're talking asphalt. The rim does not have a netting, too. So you really have to have a good eye to, when you shoot. And it's uh, rusty and sideways. Yes, and absolutely that. Board. And then full of graffiti, whatever colors and names and all that is in there. First time I went to New York, I went to the exact same area you're talking about mm. to see the graffiti at the basketball courts. Yes. I wrote graffiti growing up and spray paint can tattooed on me. And yeah. I went to those courts in, in the up. it was like 187th Street, somewhere around there. They have a graffiti hall of fame. And it's crazy because like I went for a different reason. Yeah. Like I was into basketball and stuff, but I still have pictures. And it was just, we got off the subway and it was just, and I grew up in Cleveland in the mm -hmm. city. So it was not rural, but man, mm -hmm. it was the energy and the feel. And yeah. guys flew by on dirt bikes. Guy had a t-shirt tied mm -hmm. around his face with a machine gun, like uh -huh. flies by. And <laughs> we're like, whoa, shit. You know, and I've been through a lot of stuff at that time, you know, yeah. but it was, it was just like chaos, but there was like so much going on that I I didn't know where to look. Mm -hmm. There's pretty girls here and they're mm -hmm. selling stuff on this corner and they're playing basketball over here and there's gangsters over there and there's music playing everywhere. And like, yeah, how did, is it like able to like take all that in when you moved there? And like, I live here now. Like, how do I deal with all this? Sensory overload. It's, 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 it's overwhelming. It's, it's, it's an adjustment pretty much. Let's say that way. Also, I had played. Uh, street ball in Bogota, many, many, many parts. Okay. And I knew that, Hey, he's a runt. Uh, we're going to pick him last. So I got used to that. And then I got, even when I start shooting, that was a different story in Manhattan. The thing to do is pretty much along those lines. All right. Wait till somebody picks you. Yep. You're only five, nine. You're not going to fit with us. Uh, we'll use you as a filler. Yes, absolutely. And we pass the ball when we when we feel like passing you the ball, when they want but break. when, when they pass me the ball, I better shoot right and make it count. Otherwise they wouldn't pass. You wouldn't me the go ball. back out there. Yeah, You're never no. playing again. Right. Now, the other thing was when picking four on four or three on three or two on two, Hey, I'll play you for some money. I'll play you for some money. Okay. You got 50 running on this. If we win, that's a lot of money back then. Oh yes. That's the rent. You needed, you needed to be very careful there not to get hustled like that because you would see some of them and they looked like they couldn't play. But when it came to money, they became tigers because they wanted your money. White men can't jump. Yes. Yep. Great Something movie. Something like that. It was, I, when I watched that movie with the buddy, buddy Harrison, whatever his name, I say, yes, you're right. You were one of those. You got different face though. That's how it was. And uh, sometimes your partner was on the other guy's team and you didn't you even got know it. they were hustling you. There you go. You talked about the language and you talked about coming into the city and you're you're out there on the courts. Mm -hmm. There's I've I've lived in foreign countries and and been at that loss of a certain amount of the language going over your head and having to take things out of context right. and and things like that. So when you're out there on the court and you get into a, a legit disagreement, because these happen on the court the all the time. How does someone like yourself in that position reconcile that situation? Basically being alone because you're not out there with everybody else. They're, you're out there with them. That is correct. Um, you have to pick your fights. All right. See how much you can handle. Uh, the best way is use your conversational skills to bring the person down to a level where you can then reason with them. Mm -hmm. Start starting swinging uh, because somebody kind of pull your pants down or gave you an elbow on your chest or slap you on the back of your head or cut you up with uh, whatever, you know. Jesus. You have to hold yourself accountable for that incident and manage yourself to a point where you can deflate this situation. If not, you're an in for a big, big, big trouble because next thing you, you're going to be running to an emergency, emergency room. Never learned that part. I was at the emergency room. <laughs> no, no. Um, I'll give you another tidbit. Uh, I'm playing ball somewhere in the court, and I'm fighting for a rebound. And the next thing I know, I have this cut here. I say, what the hell caught me? And I'm, I'm stopping, trying to stop the bleeding. And next thing I hear is from this guy, sorry, dude. Sorry, dude. That was the one that elbowed me right on my forehead. Ouch. Uh, and, and an elbow to the forehead that makes you bleed is really yeah. hard. Yeah, my head hurts a little bit just thinking about that. Yeah, so uh, 
is when you say, I say, okay, guys, I, I think I need to stop here and go take care of myself. Okay, another tidbit. This is in New Jersey. I'm playing with these guys uh, in a public park near, uh, what is it, the fire department and the police department public park. Because I used to do it on the weekends, pretty much. So I'm there, I'm there playing the big guys, da-da-da-da. And suddenly one of these big guys, I don't know, starts hyperventilating, okay? Starts foaming at the mouth and starts shaking. Seizure. And the, next, the only thing we could do for him was run to the fire department and say, hey, 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 these guys, you know, having this, this, that, and the other. By the time he get it, got attended to, he had died. Oh, no. It, the diagnosis was heat stroke. So uh, sometimes when you play sports, uh, if you don't hydrate, you leave interval between sports activities, you get hurt if you don't watch yourself. Watch somebody literally die on the basketball court. Yeah, it court. died. I, we were very scared. We were very scared. Another tidbit in New Jersey, I got to work for a very large book publisher, Scholastic Magazines. Yeah, I mean. Familiar it. with their book fair. Yes, we, used to <laughs> we did. I started as a uh, an hourly, ended up being the manager, but... In that journey, I used to have a boss who used to play ball for Burien uh, Community College. He was the center, okay? And somehow we sneak out right next door to Scholastic Magazine. There was a hidden court where you can play ball. So the more we know each other, the more we kind of sneak out and during break and go play, you know, two on two, five on five, something like that. Uh, and the nicest compliment he ever paid me, he said, boy. I cannot leave you alone. You shoot the daylights out of things. You have a clean shot. I say, thank you for that. It's practice. Practice, practice. And it goes from there. Many, many instances, it's just kind of a social environment. I would say basketball has been my life, really, because uh, it kept me out of trouble. It connected me with very nice people, gave me a sense of purpose, hard work, etc. And to this day, yeah, this is the reason why Jay says when he comes here, he goes right up there to watch this stuff. He does. He yeah, does. He true. does. Do you, did you find that, um, because we're talking about a lot of stress, we're talking about a lot of different lives and, and different areas and things like that. Did you find that basketball gave you sort of a, a mental break, even though it was work, did it, did it give you some kind of rest or the ability to separate yourself from all of those anxieties and the situations going on around you? Again, basketball was my outlet. If you precisely put it in the right place, it was more like a, a deflating situation where all the stress and all the things uh, from life got kind of evened out attended to, okay? And it also was a great social environment where I could meet people, judge characters, and judge other things. So, yeah. Uh, and most of all, the teamwork part of it and how every piece interacts with um, each other. And sometimes when you interact with the right people, it's a lifetime journey because, oh, I met this person the next next. Next thing you know, this person is calling you and social uh, environments grow and, and becomes professional environments and things like that. That's, that's how it was. Uh, it was a lifesaver for me, really. I didn't do, ever do drugs because I know it was problems. Smoking or drinking wasn't a thing for me, though, because of my upbringing and not only in school, but at home. So I've been most of my life a grunt, hard worker, and much less the, uh, a troublemaker. That's There's amazing. Still troublemakers around that environment. How did you manage to navigate through the people in these parks? And, and, you know, some of the players you played with were probably gang members or had ties to different organizations. How did you manage to be around them, but not ever get sucked into it, especially with the money and stuff that was probably around at that time? Again, um, out of my education, my, let's say religious education, because I did have, um, Bishop in the family. I did have uh, sisters, family related to um, religious orders. My religious education was mostly in high school when most things counted. All that kind of played a part on how how I was formed, really. How I learned to respect and differentiate things, meaning you could see somebody uh, in high school, this is a good example, with a wad of money in his pocket saying, hey man, let's go party. And I knew what it meant. Thank you. I, I pass on that. I don't I need it. I wish I would have learned that one too. 
Uh, Man, I didn't know no to thank you at all. <laughs> no, no, Except no. for the vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and then the other one was, uh, what are you doing this weekend? Uh, I'll bring you, uh, I'll pick you up and we go to do some partying. I said, no, thank you. I don't want to owe you this favor. Um, I'll pass. Then there were others that uh, the moms and dads had uh, own a restaurant. Yeah, let's come over and eat. I said, oh, I'll take that one. It's easier. <laughs> Good call. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I want to ask, um, with the immigration piece coming to the U S and leaving family behind and making those small connections like, uh, on the plane and things like that. Um, if you were to look to someone that is coming to the U S now, and they're in that situation, how do you help them reconcile the lack of family that is a natural family and how do you create a new world in a different area or a legacy? Because you have a family that you're planting here and beginning a new culture. How do you, how do you do that? All right. From all the steps that I, I've gone through, when you were in Italy, learned like the Italians do speak Italian and eat spaghetti. I would say for anybody and everybody, the key to the United States, of course, education whatever possible. The language must be respected. Learn it is important. When you're here, um, you don't have to be in a neighborhood where everybody speaks your language. You need to separate yourself. In other words, immerse yourself in the culture of the country. The country is the one that welcome you, then fully embrace it. When you don't do that, then you're still there, no matter where you come from. Respect pretty much the things that are given to you, see them as an opportunity to learn and grow and continue your education. It's important that you do that. If you don't do that, then you still have uh, yourself to blame for because you didn't make the effort. And don't always take the easy route. There is hard work ahead of you. If you don't do it, things will come back and bite you. We were talking about this earlier. The, the difference between success and failure is one word as far as I'm concerned, and that's action. And everything that I heard throughout that trip was another step, regardless of what was next. It was turning those pages and just waiting to see what comes to you rather than worrying about a long-term future. Uh, yes, I agree with you. Again, you're given an opportunity. Take it. Go from there, really. Uh, again, if you're fortunate enough to have enough education, don't stay there. Uh, it's important. You need to evolve too and blend in if you don't do these things you're left out because oh i need to go back to my country every year because i need to go back to my roots every year because um you don't know how many uh opportunities you're gonna have anyway so again make up your mind be here not there it's interesting but you don't have to give up your culture in order to do that Absolutely. I understand that. Uh, don't deny it. Your accent is always going to be there no matter what. You're not going to cure it. <laughs> but you can improve your accent a little bit. Yes, absolutely you do. Uh, don't be a stupid ass. Hey, learn. Continue to learn. You continue to learn. Hey, I come from the Rotary Dial era. I still have to run to my son-in-law to help me with apps <laughs> or my son, the engineer, to help me with downloading certain things. Or my wife uh, to help me out with other things. And while I'm here, let's throw some tribute to my wife. Um, I was very fortunate to have met her. And pretty soon we'll be married 50 years. Wow. Uh, so it's another thing that kind of is very important and is lost nowadays. If you have disagreements with your wife, okay, you need to manage them, resolve them, and continue. Admit that you're wrong. And that they're right uh, every time. Uh, I'll give you this. <laughs> no, no. I'll give you this advice that I got from a doctor because I went once and I was telling the doctor, look here. She's driving me crazy. Yep. I am itchy. I have this pains. I have this, that, and the other. And by then, uh, I think we had our second child. So the doctor runs all these kinds of tests, right? And he calls me back into the office and said, Mr. Torres, I need to talk to you. Yes, sir. What's wrong with me? I asked him. He took his telescopes away from his neck and said, look here, you need to learn this 
And from now on, don't ever forget it. I said, yes, sir. What is it? In your household, your wife is number one. Your children are number two. Your pets are number three. And you're number four. If you can get that in your head, you will never, ever, ever get sick. Yes, sir. I went to the doctor with that same conversation about an itchy thing before, and it went a totally different way. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> he gave me some good advice. <laughs> and, a, and a cream. <laughs> I tell this story. I said, this is how I'm doing it. And the other side of the thing is, is simply this, this one, too. I said, I am the boss in the house, but my wife gave me permission to say so. That's the other one. <laughs> what people don't know is that you're not the only immigrant. Your wife, my mother-in-law, is also an immigrant from Italy and came from a farm, yeah. not a city, not prepared yeah. for what, I mean, at least you had Bogota in the rearview mirror. She had goats and. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's rough. Yeah, it, it is an adjustment uh, for her in many instances because sometimes she turns her head and says to me, Hey, how the hell you manage this? I said, uh, it's, it's like ducks with water. They'd roll, they'd, I follow my <laughs> plumage and then they'd roll off my back. That's how I did it. Okay, I need to learn that. Okay. But she's Italian. Yeah. <laughs> so that's tough. Uh, <laughs> amazing food. Amazing food. Loving woman. I am to this day grateful because look the way I look when I first came to the country because she's very particular about her um, food how she makes it. She grows her own things. Um, I guess I don't give her enough credit for those things too. Although I do have the background, the farming background, uh, it kind of got blended into the city background and I kind of lost it. Now that, that we have come full circle, now I come dusting off certain things that I watch my grandparents and my parents do, you know, in, in, in the countryside. Back to this Italian food we're oh, talking yeah. about. <laughs> uh, that's a that's a blending i mean you really had like a household of different different types of foods different cultures i mean while italian and and you know colombian okay. are similar latin you know catholicism the whole nine there's still got to be a lot of differences in backgrounds and things that we wouldn't recognize from the surface all right that is a loaded question so uh, give you a lifeline Let's, let's see if I can skirt around it. Um, you could call and see if you could answer that question. Yeah, yes. I think I would. I, I, I would be there. I, I would have per, permission to do <laughs> I guess the biggest adjustment I had to make was um, one day one when she took me to introduce me to her uh, parents. Um, I was used to, you know, rice and beans and a little bit of meat, etc. I go to her house, and they give me the, what they call the antipasto. I say, <laughs> okay, so it was a plate full of spaghetti. I say, whoa, that's dinner, great. So oh, I ate the whole, started. Th so I ate the whole thing, and then they come and say, are you ready for the next steps? I say, we, how many more are there? I say, yeah, we need to do, we need to eat uh, this, that, <laughs> the other. You're in a, you're in a lasagna drink. coma. Antipasto, oh everything God, in between. So back yeah. to this Italian food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But again, um, whatever she makes, I'm very fortunate to have her do that for me. Yeah, because, for those um, for those of us looking at the um, camera right I stay now, away how old from are McDonald's. You? I stay away from sweet stuff. Um, I'm 74. Way better shape than me. So I, again, it's all relative to my upbringing. I was fortunate enough in my forming years to have fresh food. Okay? And I'm fortunate enough to marry a lady that um, knows food from the word, from the time she was uh, school in, in, in Italy to now. She's, she's very mindful of eating what we do, what she makes and how she makes it. And sometimes I take samples to my work and give it to other people. And I said, God, this is really, really good. I say, yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. <laughs> That's definitely her love language. I mean, when yes. it comes to how she yes. takes care of the people around her, Food is, is one of her go-tos. Nine o'clock in the morning when they were living here, I had two cheesecakes, both made, as well as some, I had fried shrimp at 9 a.m. one time. There you go. Uh, as an Italian myself, my mother's about the same age. Uh, that's it. I mean, it's, I'll, I'll get in really good shape. She comes and visits and tells mm -hmm. me how great I look. And then it's just food. <laughs> like, well, I'm not always here. I'm like, here a lot. And I gained 20 pounds. 
Yeah, but yeah, absolutely. it's the same thing. Like you wake up, it's peppers and eggs. You yeah, you know. And then it's till night. Yeah. You want a little snack? Like, sure, a little snack. It's like, uh, there's no little snack. No such thing. No. <laughs> no yeah. such thing. I asked for cheesecake and she made a New York style and an Italian style ricotta. And they were both sitting there by like 10 a.m. And they were nine pounds each. Oh, they were. <laughs> they were. They had heft. Yeah, that ricotta. It's That's like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's, that's uh, that'll do it for you. Um, so do you feel good about this? I have a million questions, oh, Go ahead. but we're going to talk about music a lot this yeah. year. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's something that we, you know, our friendship has grown through our love of music. Absolutely. Right. Um, 1969, New York's, you know, or seventies, like that is an era of music that will live forever. When you got to New York in the early seventies, what songs do you remember? Is there bands or music that was playing that brings you back to that time? You hear that Great song, it brings you to New York in the okay. 70s. Um, in high school, we had a special class called Musical Appreciation. Again, this is all with the Christian Brothers of La Salle. We were given a special room where we would pick our own things. Mostly, uh, in my case, it was uh, classical music. Okay. Then we were to render uh, an opinion about the pieces you were li listening to and what resonated most. Thus, uh, I liked the class, but I did like the Beatles more. <laughs> like the Beatles are amazing. They were amazing. Those those things are, are later on. Uh, it transitioned to Tom Jones and Gilbert Harpending. Most of uh, my musical education came from that era to these days. Yeah, when I hear Tom Jones, yeah, I know. When I hear Hamburger and Gilbert Harpending sing, I know that's brings me right back okay what about listening to that iconic time frame in the 70s when things like curtis mayfield are coming on and there's revolutions from inside the city and things like that there's a lot of strength in that moment what does that feel like when you step out there and you hear those kinds of things uh it was an adjustment because um there wasn't much engelbert humperdinck in the parks in uh yeah in harlem at that time i would imagine. yeah it, it, it was the thing to do um but this other music that Jay mentioned is it was an adjustment and an educational thing that you need to kind of understand. Pretty much like the Rory phone dial versus, hey, Siri, call so-and-so. That's a big adjustment too. But I stay true to the classicals because I, I learned that in high school. It was cemented in my head and my heart. To these days, favorites are um, Luciano Pavarotti. Um, okay. Celine Dion, classical music, uh, New York uh, opera, that kind of stuff. And that is, that is pretty much it. Um, I do have another Italian, I must mention him. His name escapes me, but every time I put it on in Pandora, my wife says, turn it off. Is it Don Ruckus? Uh, I yeah, no. <laughs> I'm going to send you some. <laughs> no, 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 not, not Dino Martino. No, 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 no. Eros no. Ramazzotti? <laughs> no, 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 no. That's the only other Italian, like. Uh, I'm going to ask you Andrea Bocelli. What, oh, Bocelli. What do the shoes look like on the court back then? What is everybody wearing? And who's bragging about what? Uh, it was Converse All-Star or Pumas, if you can find them. Because, again, there wasn't much of that thing to do. Uh, the thing is, for basketball, you could use tennis shoes, but uh, the, the higher um, end would be uh, Converse All-Stars. Chuck Nevitt, along with the ball with Chuck Nevitt's signature on it. It wasn't pretty much comfortable because if you didn't wear... <laughs> Those things are not. Not at all. I can't even <laughs> wear them walking around town. If you didn't have the right socks, you would have... An injury on your plantar region underneath your, your feet. And then if you didn't tape up your um, the bottom side of your leg, you would hurt. Then if you played in asphalt, oh boy, that would be an issue. The best place to play was in a parquet court. Yeah, that was, that I had the pleasure to do it in because You I, could stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and it would be good on your, on your, on your back too. So that, that was, uh, that was a thing to do. And I, I was fortunate enough to, to do it in many of these high schools. I was, you know, I, I, we were playing with, it, it was an exclusive league. You can say that. That's super cool. Super, super cool. Life comes to certain moments where you could go left or right. Yeah. Absolutely. Could have not gone, um, on that plane. You mm -hmm. could have not, you know, went left or went right. You could have not moved over to New Jersey. 
there's so many times you could have just went this way instead of that way. Is there one moment in your life um, that was very pivotal that you'd say, like, that was the moment that sent me into a good journey? You have a beautiful family and you live in a beautiful place and you've had all these great experiences. Is there one point where you're like, wow, I'm really glad I went this way? Because if I would have went that way, like, it might not have been. So I'll summarize it to you in one word, Maria. Mm, that's, that's it. That's uh, my mother-in-law. I just I didn't have to ask. I yeah, yeah. Said, okay. One word. Yeah. Uh, simply this, because when I started to notice her, this was back at Scholastic Magazine. I really didn't kind of was interested until somebody said, hey, I think she likes you. You need to talk to her. I said, oh, I don't know if I want to do this. Now. Well, uh, the more uh, I got to know her, we knew that, that this was the right person with the right background. It's older than her, top of that. So I said to her after three months, I said, listen, I don't have any money, but. Good game. <laughs> I don't have any money. Go in with no false front. <laughs> I don't have any money. Uh, I just want you to do that, but if you. Don't mind, I would like to marry you. And she took me up on it and we're still there. I thought you were going to ask her to call Yeah, coffee like get a lunch. <laughs> I'm broke. I'm not even going to ask you on a date. Like, can we just get married? That is the cheaper route. I have not tried that method yet, but I may start. <laughs> and following up on that, we got married, uh, George in Inglewood, New Jersey. And her mom didn't like that. Need to be married in church. So That's we, very Italian. we we married uh, originally in August of 1973. Then we married again in November of 73 in church. You had to do it twice, man. Uh, so that is that is that is the one constant in my life. Very grateful here that she's. Been I'm, with me. I'm grateful you made that decision as well. <laughs> yeah, it was good for you. Yeah, all both the way down of, the line. it worked real well for me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and the other thing besides Maria is it's been the opportunity to blend in the United States. I gave up my Colombian citizenship because it was the thing to do. But now there is a law in Colombia that allows me a dual citizen. So I kind of regained that. I'm a dual citizen. I don't know why I need to have a passport from Colombia nowadays, but it's here. Absolutely. Transition is permanent. Home is where your family is. That's right. Agree with that. And family is what you make of it. It doesn't even have to be blood. It can be yeah. those that bring you the joy and see yeah. things the way that you do. And, and you can live Absolutely. on that harmonic level. Absolutely. Um, while I have the opportunity, let me express this feeling to you guys. Thank you for this, this, this memory lane that you've been giving me because many times... Uh, you don't have uh, a good outlet or a good venue to kind of talk about these things. It's just, you know, do, 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 and never remember what you've been through. And this is, this. I'm very grateful for this opportunity to express the things that I had so many, so many years. And then hopefully somebody will listen and maybe resonate with them. Dude, you sound right. I hope they will. Cause one of the lessons that you've taught me and, and everyone listening is take advice. You know, you don't know everything, you know. No. Somebody no. gave you advice to come here. Somebody gave you advice about learning the language. Somebody gave you advice. And you don't take everybody's advice, but if you look at someone and they seem to know something, like, go that way. Don't yeah. think you know everything. Don't no, no. be afraid to stop learning, yeah. too. Yeah. Opportunities present themselves for a reason. Yeah. Too often we we live in that spiral mindset. I was talking to Gary about it earlier. Like I described the mind as a quarter spinning. And too often we sit inside that mindset and we don't realize all the things that are going on around us and that those opportunities are there all the time. But if your mind is spinning at the time, you don't get it. And I repeat it over and over. You're a very mindful man. And all I hear throughout these conversations is you're listening to what each person is presenting to you, whether it's going to party, you know, somewhere or it's, hey, maybe Make sure that you, you know, pay attention to this particular, use Gabe, not Gabriel, you know, it, it, that kind of thing. Sometimes um, things are in front of you uh, and pretty much you can go left, right, center, up, down, downtown, whatever you want to call it. But you need to have a counterbalance, which is your upbringing. You have to respect that. Uh, it was given to you for a reason. You need to kind of embrace it, use it, hopefully be a 
some uh, an example to others. I don't know. That's how it's been for me. One of the, another big lesson that I learned when I started to be a manager for corporations was listen, listen, and then listen because um, there are many subtle um, messages behind that. And if you listen, you will be a more successful rather than shouting orders left and right. Unless you happen to be in war, then you, you listen there but because somebody's shouting at you. But in real life, learn to listen. If you do that, you'll be successful. I love it. Gotta love learn it. that one. <laughs> do, you, do you have anything else you want to ask, Harry? I, I, I feel like I've learned a lot today. Yeah, I think uh, I, I would like to continue this at a later time, you know, and... Uh, there's, there's so many things to unpack there. Um, oh, yes. I guess just uh, what time's dinner? <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to call her and make an appointment. What do, you, what do you call her? The Minister of War? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, what, that's his title for her, the Minister of War. Amazing. <laughs> that's what I call her. If, Very if, I, don't, if I don't listen, I get hit with a, a ladle on the side of my head. Okay, or got to get skinned somehow. Uh, if I don't listen, I better listen. Let's, let's get out of here before we take a little right. ahead. Sounds good. <laughs> Dad, I appreciate you. Thank you oh, so much. Thank you for having me. I, I enjoyed it, truly. I really did. Uh, you just kind of put me through a sieve, and hopefully now I feel better. Now I send my memory banks. Okay. I love it. Perfect. Uh, I also, if you happen to need, I have some old pictures. I don't know. Oh, yeah, we'll definitely guys. be sharing that yeah. for sure. Uh, is is there for consumption? There's there's one of his five nine self slam dunking a basketball. I need to see that. I'll put that on the screen. And no, I'll put my face on it. <laughs> put my, my face on uh, Photoshop, but let, with longer shorts. Let me tell you this: um, for so many years, I tried to slam dunk, and the best I could do was have the ball up on the rim, half the ball up on the rim, and I keep saying to myself, "My God, I think it's the shoes." Yeah. <laughs> not me they everybody blame the shoes ad campaign about that my favorite shoes ever and it's gotta be the shoes of Spike Lee and the character Mars Blackman gotta be the shoes gotta be the shoes gotta be the shoes but it's funny though because uh, when I had my high school coach that guy was my size and he was dunking I don't know how he did it I did, but, but you could see his muscles you know the upper thighs, you can see them. Thighs. Yeah. Okay, okay, you can see. And now I, I know it's not the, the shoes; it's his muscles. I know, I know. Still buying the shoes, and I still can't dunk. I think in your forties, you learn. I'll always try. I will try. All right. Well, thank you so much again. And remember, everybody, you gotta be cool and keep learning. What's up, academics? This is Jay. I'm here to talk to you about Into the AM. This is a clothing and apparel company that I came across last year that has the absolute coolest designs. And the reason why I was attracted to it is because I grew up without a lot of money, like many others, and had to shop on that outlet rack with the irregular items. Things like the fly was over four inches to the left, or the right sleeve would be twice the size of the left. It looked like I was growing horizontally. Like, it's okay, honey, you'll grow into your left arm. So you really don't get a chance to express yourself the way that you want to. You go into life, you start putting on suits, you start putting on uniforms, and you realize you'd never had a chance to truly express yourself. Enter into the AM, a team of artists and creators who share a common vision. They see clothing as a canvas to express what drives you. Since 2012, They've developed premium apparel that elevates self-expression and provides unparalleled comfort for wherever your passions take you. Into the AM's passion for change is the driving force behind their brand. They remain committed to creating products that inspire and promote self-expression by partnering with like-minded organizations focused on giving back to communities in need. Last year, they donated 1% of all revenue from their graphic tees collection to the Art of Elysium charity. The Art of Elysium is an artist organization built on the idea that through service, art becomes a catalyst for social change. For over 24 years, the Art of Elysium has paired volunteer artists with communities to support individuals in the midst of difficult emotional life changes. They currently offer 110 community programs per month, serving over 30,000 individuals per year. The only permanent thing in life is change. Supporting charities dedicated to helping those going through these changes, trials, and tribulations 
require a never-ending commitment. The onus is on us as creators to affect change through our true, authentic talents, and Into the AM is the model of how this is done. Their clothes are handcrafted with care. They have a team of skilled artisans that craft each garment with the highest quality fabrics and eco-friendly inks. Not to mention, these things don't shrink, they don't fade, and they fit as if they were designed supernaturally. I'm stopped every time I wear one of the graphic tees to find out where I got it. The colors attract attention from miles, and the art is nothing short of spectacular, with designs for everyone. One of my personal favorites, Twilight Midden. Go take a look. End of the AM does all of this while putting their money where their mouth is. 30-day money-back guarantee, lightning-fast shipping, and hassle-free returns. The deals are endless. Graphic tee bundles, discount promo codes. Get over there. Check it out. I'm highlighting the tees. But I'd be remiss to not mention that if you want to walk around in the absolute most comfortable shorts, joggers, and basic tees, hit up into the end. I even wear the basics to the gym. Head on over to the tragedyacademy.com, go to our sponsors tab, and follow the affiliate link to the Into the AM store. Help support Into the AM and the Tragedy Academy by purchasing the absolute best apparel and the best designs ever. And remember, academics, be cool and keep learning.